0: Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. All right, so the theme of this month in general, and the theme for last week's service in particular was and is Viral church. Can you say viral church? And you see, that name in itself suggests that you must wrap your mind around the possibility of massive harvest of souls. It must be something that you must embrace with your mind. You cannot casually evangelize the whole world. It's going to have to take effort. It's going to have to take determination. And it's going to have to take the ability and the capacity to embrace largeness, God took Abraham in the cool of the night. Said, "Look at the stars." He was working on his mind, the mindset, the mentality you must have when you envision the Church of Jesus Christ. He said, "Look at the stars. See if you can count them. That's the number of kids I'm going to give you." And so, when you envision the body of Christ, you must envision the church without walls, envision explosion. Envision expansion, and we thank God for the growth that we're experiencing as a ministry. And I want to tell you honestly, I didn't envision anything less. This is what we prayed about. This is what we prophesied about. That December last year, we had our camp meeting here, and it was an achievement. That wow, big, big venue. venue, you know. You know and, and this, this is, is second, second service, service now. now. Glory to, to God, God right? right? I'm I'm telling telling you, we have just just started. started. You see, see, when you recognize the worth of a soul, you will understand not a single one should be spared. You see, souls, we're not talking about gold or silver. We're talking about human beings. Imagine, you say, oh, there's so many Christians. There's about two billion of us. But when you realize we're talking about souls, just imagine a president saying only 1,000 people died. There will be an uproar, and rightly so, right? Because if one person dies, it's a big deal. And so, you cannot be in the business of souls and accommodate the thoughts or be convenient with the thought of one person not being saved. You must have a radical ambition. The vision of this church is ambitious. We envision all men Celebrating endless life in Christ Jesus. That's why we are as radical as we are. That's why we do all that we do and we will yet do more. Say loud, amen. amen. You know, in business management and in goal setting, there is something called, the acronym called SMARTS. So goals must be specific and measurable and all of this is not a business class. But I said that to say this, you know, so even in the business world, We recognize that there's a difference between a dream and a goal. If you don't have a timeline, if you don't have a target, it's just a dream. And you probably need to wake up. But when you now become intentional about it, and that's something I'm hoping somehow the body of Christ can decide to have. Imagine if we had a goal for 1 billion souls added to the church in 10 years. Now we are talking, we have to put numbers to these things. We have to put numbers. Because somehow, you can be comfortable and think that the small service you are having in the corner of the world will suffice because you don't have a goal. You don't really, until you have a goal, you don't understand the enormity of the effort that is required. And so you'll be comfortable in some corner in the corridor, just for example. Sorry, I use it? Singing this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. First and foremost, he said you are the light of the world. Stop calling it little light. Maybe I said the corridor because the church is coming there soon. Amen. I don't know why I said the corridor. Let me use another place, VGC. Even, it doesn't even jail, for example. I'll just play I don't know. Maybe I'm tired. Hallelujah. <laughs> So we envision all men celebrating endless life in Christ Jesus. And the light we have is not little. It's a great light. Hallelujah. Come and say, we've got a great light. Say, I'm a burning and a shining light. That's who we are. And so we must strategize for the world. We must see a city without walls. However, Our desire for growth is not at any cost. You have to understand. Our growth must not only be quantitative, it must be qualitative. So it's not just any kind of growth that we embrace. This is so important. This is the Church of Jesus Christ, not a political party. You see, when you observe politics in this country, sometimes you want to laugh because you see people you know are arch enemies behind closed doors, collaborating for a common goal. So just years ago, you see them shading each other openly, saying this person, there is nothing good about this person. You know, I don't believe in his political campaign and all those kind of things. And then years after, now they are in the same party working together. What happened to what you said before? You know, they just sweep it under the rug, you know, because when it all comes down to it, politics is a game of numbers, And when you are after Numbers, even the devil can become your ally as long as he has a following. You see? But like I said, this is the church of Jesus Christ, not a political party. Numbers will not be everything. And that's why you see Jesus in John chapter 6. 5,000 people are in front of him. Now, this is a groundbreaking experience. You mean in three years ministry, you have 5,000 members I mean, the news should carry it. This is great. You should start having conferences, you know, church growth seminars. 5,000 members in three years. How I did it. (laughs) Jesus did it, literally. You know, Jesus did it. You know, (laughs) you know, and all of that. But then, you are able to see through, you know, what everybody sees, the smoke screen, and see people who are really not interested in the message, just interested in bread just interested in miracles, and then you take the mic one day and preach a hard sermon that you know would pursue them. Don't think for a moment he didn't know that they will will find that message, you know, hard. He said, except a man drink my blood and eat my flesh. He has no life in him. He said, for my flesh is meat indeed. Ah! People who wouldn't even eat pork. (laughs) He said, your flesh is meat indeed. Your blood is drink indeed. How about you just explain that you were talking metaphorically? No. Except a man eats my flesh and drink my blood. He has no life in him. And every one of them, as he anticipated, turned back. Imagine losing 5,000 members in one day. And he wasn't perturbed by that. See, you have to have your focus on something greater to lose 5,000 members and not be bothered. So, the mentality behind this is this. I would rather have few committed, truly converted people than a multitude, a mixed multitude. That's the mentality of God. Look at the selection of the army for Gideon. You know, and how, you know, that scrutiny kept excluding people and excluding people and excluding. Yeah, listen. So, there is a balance in the two messages. We envision all men. But let us make sure that we don't start in the bid of getting people just bring, you know, start doing things that don't really concern the gospel. Gala nights, suya nights, zobo nights, uh, strawberry nights, you know, just to pack people. You pack people who don't even like Jesus. But the venue is full for the gram. Come on, now you get what I'm saying. What I'm saying, respectfully, is very important. Our growth must be qualitative, not just quantitative. If you believe what I'm saying, say loud, Amen. amen. So as important as virality may be, something is more important, namely the message and we must make sure we don't get everything right except what really counts. You know, one comedian I like to listen to, I said, okay, he said something very funny but very profound, very true. And you can excuse him saying this because he's a comedian, so I will just quote him. <laughs> he talked about how obvious an average artist is these days. So right now in this service, if an artist you walk in here you will very likely recognize them immediately because they have, you know, the walking step, then the swag, then the dressing. There's a way they dress with dreadlocks. They have catchphrases, you know, when they say, give a shout out. Say, hello, everybody, want to, it's your boy. You know, everything, you know. And all of that. And he said, they have everything, the packaging, the swag, the dressing, except what really counts, a song. So many of them, you ask, give them mics, They sing. When you're hearing song, you're like, what is this? And every other thing, the dressing, oh, yo, what's up? You know, oh, y'all sing now, problem. <laughs> you know, you know. And respectfully, it seems like many churches are like that. We have nice venue, nice programs, nice children's church, nice everything. We're getting everything right except the message. Nice welfare programs, as good as it may be. Don't you understand? The stomach will perish. It will perish. So, okay, it's just like someone about to die. You have drugs that can save him. But you also have food. Don't worry. You're giving him rice. Don't (laughs) worry. That's what we're doing. As important as welfare is, that's not why we exist. I hope you understand that. Let's not perfect everything except what really counts. We must get the message right. You see, there is this very important and symbolic story in 2 Samuel chapter 18. You know, first and foremost, you, you, you just want to reminisce the time where there was no social media. The time just before cell phones, when if you had to send a message to your neighbor, your mommy would say, Hey, Bami Lossi, yeah, you know, something. You would say, Go and tell her this. And so you would joke. My mommy said, Did any of you do this? I don't know why 90s kids are smiling. You don't. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not old like that, too, but I shall old pass you. But anyway, you know, so there was such a time, you know, and that was what was happening here. So there was a battle. And as stubborn and troublesome as Absalom was, he was still David's son. David still loved him. And he said, I hope Absalom will be safe. Now the battle had happened. And now David wants to know if Absalom is safe. So Joab sends word to Cushy. Go and tell David, you know, about Absalom. Absalom is dead. And Cushy is going. But now, just like many people... Who, because their friend is doing something, want to do it? Another guy, Ahazai, or oh, however his name is pronounced, saw so she go in and started telling Joab, "You know, I want to go too. I want to go too because apparently, maybe telling the king something, even if you are just an errand boy, is such a big deal. I want to go. I want to go." And Joab said, "Wherefore shall you go? You don't have any message." "I want to go. I want to go. you, you don't have a message." What do you mean you want to go? And this guy insisted and Joab you know didn't have a choice and so he started running also. Not only did he run, he overtook Cushy who had gone long before him. God to David gasping for breath. And now this is what ensued. I want you to see it for yourself. Look at verse 27. Verse 29. You know, so he got there and David asked him a simple question. The Bible says, and the king said, Is the young man, Absalom, safe? You know what Ahimeas said? He said, when Joab sent the king's servant and me thy servant, I saw a great tumult, but I knew not what it was. After running all this while, he came, Is, my, is Absalom the young man safe? He said, I heard noise, but I don't know what it was. I heard noise. I know what David said. He said, stand aside. Let's wait for the person with information. <laughs> he said, stand here. And as funny and as ridiculous as this is, it seems like this is how a lot of ministries are. A lot of activity. You are running. You are running. <laughs> You're running the race with no message. A lot of effort. A lot of diligence. You don't even know why you exist as a church. You don't know what this is about. Copying what others are doing. The church next door does billboards. You must do billboards. The church next door does this type of prayer. You must do that type of prayer. They invite these um, artists. You must invite them. Copying. No, No authenticity. Hallelujah. Look at what Jeremiah said. He said something very important in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 21. And this message gripped me. You know, it's, it's so powerful. Jeremiah 23, 21. You know what he said? He says, God is talking. He says, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. Why are you running? <laughs> I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. One of the most dangerous things that can happen to someone is for him to succeed in something he ought not to have started in the first place. It's easy to retrace your steps when it fails. You say, ah, nobody sent me. But if it works, God says, talk to the rock. And instead of talking to it, you struck it and water still came out. It's one of the most tempting things that can happen to a ministry. Because now God is not with you and you don't even see it. This is so important. The Bible tells us this. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And everybody knows verse 17, not many people have paid attention to verse 18. Verse 18 says, And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Listen, it's not our ministry. It's his ministry. It's his message. Look at the next chapter, the next verse, verse 19. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed to us the word. Of reconciliation. The message. He committed to us. A message. You don't come up with it on your own. It's not about your bias. It's not about what you think. It's about the message he gave you. We are messengers. You have to understand how sacred the message is. Don't add anything to it. You are just a messenger. How shall they call upon him? on whom they have not heard, uh, on whom they don't believe. And how shall they believe without a preacher? So, listen, as preachers, we must communicate the message as received in the word. The word of reconciliation. And I like the fact that it's definite article there. So it's not, the truth is, denomination is human creation. There is one message. And so if people are preaching different things, some of us are wrong. That's a fact. There is one message. Why am I saying this? And is this even an evangelical message? Emphatically. Because now, when we're teaching on evangelism, we tend to focus on, you know, boldness, you know, talking to people, how to approach them, detract, what should be on it, you know, and all of that. But the most important thing, first and foremost, is our message. Do we even know what people must believe to be saved? Do we know? You know, years ago, I was doing a teaching. And as I was preparing, it just dawned on me that the church is actually really poor on soteriology. We don't really know how to get people saved. Do you know how embarrassing that is? That, I mean, the real reason the church exists, we don't really know it. We don't know how to get it done. We know how to have nice programs, but we don't know how to get souls saved. There are many things that we have invented concerning salvation That are very popular, not biblical. I'm not against some of them, but we have to see them as human inventions. For instance, are you ready? (laughs) Because the fact that something is popular does not mean it is true. Are you aware that there is no altar call in the Bible? None. None. Just. Think about that. Just think through your Bible. Wow. No altar call. No sinner's prayer. So every church that has sinner's prayer had to come up with their own or copy someone else. There is no template in the Bible. Why? First and foremost, because you don't get saved by praying. (laughs) He says, if you shall confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto what? That's how you get saved. Not praying. It's not a prayer to be answered, it's a message to believe. So there's no sin as prayer. What are you praying about? The provision is there. He's asking you to take it. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. The Son has been given. Now the onus is on you. Whosoever believes in him will not perish. Simple. So the moment you say, I believe, even if that happens when the sermon is still going on, like in Cornelius' house, Peter was still preaching. So listen, you don't get saved when you are done praying. (laughs) Because you are not even supposed to pray. All right? You get saved the moment you hear the message and believe it. So even if it was during the sermon, at the point you hear it and believe it, the Bible says, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell. Also no article, no no place in the Bible where you see, Paul said, so if there's anyone here who has heard this and says, Brother Paul, you know what? I want to give my life to Christ. Anybody there? Uh, The sister at the back, put your hands together for her. Give Jesus a big hand. So come, come, come. Tomorrow it be too late. And you know, you see, <laughs> listen, can I tell you the truth? It's not wrong. In fact, it's a good idea. But you have to understand, it's not a requirement for salvation. So when people believe in a congregation, you want to keep them accountable. So you can make an altar call for people to acknowledge salvation or people who have been saved who heard the message and believed it so that you can follow them up so it's a good idea but it is not the altar call that will get them saved nor the praying if you preached and explained the gospel well and they believed it they were saved come on do you understand that so now you just wonder but how come even to simple things like the phrase giving your life to christ That's not salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave. It is Christ that gave his life. You don't give your life at salvation. You receive the life of Christ. So it's not semantics. It's important. In salvation, you bring nothing to the table. Like someone said, your only contribution is the sin that made it necessary. (laughs) Your only contribution in salvation is the sin that made it necessary. You bring nothing to the table. So at salvation, you receive the life of Christ. Not give, you receive. Say loud, amen. Amen. So our terminologies are wrong. Our processes are wrong. You know, even how we get people saved. Okay, like a typical example is this. You know, the preacher is preaching and begins to talk about all the things that you are likely doing wrong in secret. And maybe you even came into the service feeling you and God are tight now. The pastor wants, are you sure? You know, ah, you, the more confidence you have to go. Are you sure? Mind you, in the secret, he's watching you. When nobody is there, he's watching you, you know, and all of that. And then the keyboard begins to play softly. And then the song goes, Oh, it's already you, you will just find yourself in front sobbing. <laughs> and then the preacher will say something like, Lord, Lord Jesus, I am sorry for everything I've done. From today, I make a U-turn. The things I used to do, I do them. All. You know, now this is serious. It's serious because there is a fundamental lack of understanding of salvation. See, salvation is not apologizing to someone you wronged. It's deeper than that. If that's what it was about, Jesus didn't need to die. See, let me tell you this. Did you notice that in that example, that typical altar call example I gave, no mention of the blood of Christ was was done? Because in the typical altar call, there is no need for Christ. You are sorry? Apologize. That's all tackle. So, why did Christ die? No mention. You have been doing wrong. You ought to feel bad. I promise. Then you promise you won't do it again. And then, you you can feel bad. But feeling bad is not the power of God unto salvation. You have to understand. Let me tell you this. And this... Really got me thinking. Years ago, I was reading an article by someone. He's not a Christian, but he just discovered the medical and sociological disadvantages of masturbation. And he said, this is not good for me. I will stop. And at the time of his writing, it had been one year he had not masturbated. He, no, he was not born again, no Holy Ghost. He just discovered he's wrong. Let me ask you that. If repentance truly is about change of character, especially regarding morals, is that not repentance? But is he saved? Uh So as important as change of character is, which many people just emphasize when it comes to preaching, that's still not salvation. You can feel sad for all the wrong things you are doing. You can even change and not be saved. Let me tell you this. One of the scariest scriptures in the entire Bible, it freaks me out every time I read it, is Romans chapter 10. From verse 1, it says, Brethren, my heart desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Verse 2, he said, I bear record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Do you know how how scary that is? That you can be zealous for God and not be saved. What? I mean, zealous for God? You like to pray, you like to come to church, you like to give alms, you know, just like Cornelius. The Bible says he was a pious man, he was generous, he still wasn't saved. He was even prayerful. The Bible says he prayed regularly. Acts 10, read it. And he still wasn't saved. Haven't you found people who are not Christians, but in terms of moral piety, they are better than many of us. Be honest now but it's still not about that. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Verse 3, it says, for being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. So there is a type of righteousness that God calls your own righteousness. You did it for your pockets. It has no eternal reward. Nobility is different from righteousness. That you are a noble man in the sight of men. It's different from righteousness. So it's not about what you can do. Say not in your heart, who shall ascend to the heaven? That is to bring Christ down or descend into the deep to bring him up again from the grave. What saith it? It says the word. I told you is about the information. The word is nigh thee, even in your heart and in your mouth. Even the word of faith which we preach. It says that if you shall believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. It's a message to believe. A message. Look at John 3, 16. I know you know it by heart, but that's part of the problem. You know, we don't really pay attention to details because we've been in church too long. So go with me, John chapter 3, verse 16. I know you know verse 16, but I want us to pay attention to the other verses following. Let us remember that the Bible was not originally written in chapters and verses. Those were added not too long ago just for referencing. So don't think you understand the full scope of the conversation if you know verse 16. The message still continues. Yes, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look at verse 18. Verse 18. It says, he that believeth on him is not condemned. Let me tell you this. As serious as moral or immorality is, when it comes to salvation, the most important thing, the dividing line between those who are saved and those who aren't, is faith. He that believes on him is not condemned. But he that believes not is condemned already. Let me tell you this. If you look at the typical evangelists on the streets, what they focus on is moral excellence. On the last day, on the last, you know, you are wearing lipstick, you are going to hair. You are wearing weave you're going to hell. Listen, and I don't even have time to start talking about lipstick, weave and all those things. The Bible teaches modesty, all right? And every serious child of God should be conscious about how they're dressed. I have a lot to say. And one day I'm going to preach on this. Are you aware that even dressing is on account of the fall? Yes. Listen, just in case you have not really thought about it, God put clothes on man to cover him because he had fallen. So, the true message of salvation... (laughs) No, don't, don't assume you know what I'm about to say. You know, so... I'm still letting you know how shallow it is to tell a dead man that he needs to dress better. It's not about dressing. It's not about dressing. It's not about dressing. You see, what religion does is respectfully what we do to people when they die. Even in the coffin, we dress them up. We spray perfume. That's what religion does. So a man, I mean, needs salvation. You are are bothered about his dressing. As important as dressing is, that's that's just dressing up a corpse. The metaphors of salvation suggest that a man without Christ is dead. Dead. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The man without Christ is dead. Ephesians 2.1. The man without Christ is blind. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who believe not. He has blinded. Listen, listen, listen. Don't teach morality to a dead person. He must come alive first. And listen, when you're talking about the dead coming back to life, you're talking about power. Not behavioral modification, but power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. Unto salvation to everyone who believes. Yes, they need to change their attitude. But what is going to change their attitude is the life of God. Christianity is not a lifestyle. It is a life that influences lifestyle. That's the difference. So you, you get them to receive the life first. Then their lifestyle will align. So but when you are preaching on the street and your priority is, you know, all these things. You can be zealous for moral excellence and not be saved. Please, are you with me? Let me show you a typical example. Turn your Bibles, Matthew chapter 21, verse 31. Time flies when you're having fun. Do you, like, do you love the Word of God? Matthew 21, 31. Okay, yeah. He says, now, it's actually the second verse we're going to. I wish I could read the whole thing so you get the context. You know, starting from the beginning of the verse, it says, Where whither of them twain did the will of the Father, they said unto him, the first, Jesus said unto them. This is where you need to pay attention to, from where he said Jesus said unto them. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you. Listen, who is talking? This is the person that will mark your script. This is AOC. You don't know more than him. You know what he said. He said, "Verily, I say unto you; most assuredly, I say unto you, that publicans, even though if you don't know who publicans are, you know the other one, and harlots, go into the kingdom of God before you." Does he mean? Does it mean that he's supporting support being a harlot? No. See what it says next. Verse 32. It says, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. It was about message. So, despite how horrible the harlots were, when they heard the message, they believed. And they entered even before Pharisees, who wore flowing gowns, memorized the Torah. They knew the Old Testament by heart. And they were not saved. They had a zeal for God but they were not saved. He said, publicans and harlots, the people who say heaven will be full of surprise, they are correct, but not just the type of surprise they they think. think. People go vexed that day. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Rehab! Hallelujah. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And when you had seen it, repented not afterwards. Now, this repentance here, is it change of character or change of belief? That's another thing. I I just want to chip that in so you think about that. We'll come to this another day. But this is so important. So now, if a publican or a harlot or even the guy who had killed people and they had put him on the cross beside Jesus. Just looks at Jesus and says, remember me in your kingdom. Despite all he's done. Because every time we read, all we think of is five husbands and you still have boyfriend. And then when Jesus said, where is your husband? You kept the options open. Say so I don't have. It's true. When the woman has boyfriend You ask her, are you in a religion? You say it's complicated. That means she wants to keep the options you know now. (laughs) But this is the thing. This is the part you should pay attention to. The moment the woman discovered this stranger had prophetic gifts, she had a Bible question to ask. This is someone who loved the Word of God. Did you hear what I just said? This is someone who loves the Word of God. Jesus is trying to teach people Bible they don't want. They want bread. But this woman has had a burning question in her heart. And she had been looking for who to ask. The moment she saw someone with prophetic gifts, he will know the answer. Think about that. That's hunger. Are you listening to me? You need to see her deeper than, you know, how in fact, let me tell you something. Do you know that the fact that she had five husbands is not necessarily any fault of us. You are looking from you are looking at the story from a Western mind. You thought she just got married and say this marriage is not working. I'm not doing it again. No, in those days it was the man who would very likely put away the woman. I'm not getting this. So, for instance, if you're married to someone and the person dies, you know the, the, by inheritance, it was a very stupid culture. The second Um, husband, the second brother can marry. So there was every likelihood that it wasn't by any moral feeling of hers that she had five husbands. But that's a conversation for another day. You need to see that woman for deeper than what you see on the surface. So she had that question, you know, then Jesus explains to her, she now says, well, good answer, but the Messiah is coming. She said that on her own. The Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will teach us these things. This Messiah that had been trying to commend himself to people, they didn't want to listen. They were not ready to receive. This woman is waiting anxiously. And for you to know how earnestly she was waiting, it just came out. She's telling a stranger, the Messiah is coming. She's telling a stranger that. This is why Jesus sat on that well. She was looking for him. Let me tell you something, there are many people who don't look like it when it comes to social standards, but in the eyes of God, they are more excellent, more honorable. There are some people (laughs) that have never taken alcohol in their life, never smoked in their life, but their heart is darker (laughs) than people that smoke every day. And I'm not. I'm not supporting smoking. I'm just. I just want you to get this. It's about faith. And as far as faith is concerned, it's more important than moral excellence. We have to understand this. Praise the Lord. You have to understand this. So now the question is: Do you really believe the word of God? Do you understand the gospel? What do you preach? when you go out there what do you preach you have to get the message right so that you don't you don't you don't labor over nothing you don't waste your investment glory be to god and when we do this we will actually see true character change i'm telling you True character change. I I just don't know why. You know, in the body of Christ, it looks like Christianity is just a culture. Some people are just, they don't just get it. God is after your heart, you see. Don't put up just your Sunday best and feel you are okay. It's deeper than that. Anyways, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Say that with me, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Say that again, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. emphasis on everyone that believes it's a life not a lifestyle there is a lifestyle in the life but it is not a the lifestyle there are three things that typify or describe or explain salvation number 1 you don't understand salvation if you don't understand the utter helplessness of man. The utter helplessness of man. You don't understand it. If you think that there is anything a man can do to be saved, you have to see the bankruptcy of the natural man. Listen, we owe a debt that we could not pay. And in a thousand lifetimes, we will not be able to pay. You won't get it. Listen. You won't even really appreciate the gift of salvation if you didn't understand how helpless you were. Let me tell you this. If your pen drops and someone picks it up for you, the person is just being nice, you will still say thank you out of courtesy. But you won't show, I mean, more than necessary gratitude. Isn't that true? But if you were in debt, owing something you cannot pay, and someone tips his hand into his pocket, gives you 50 million or 100 million. The gratitude will be different. Are you getting what I'm saying? If you don't understand the, the enormity of our indebtedness, you won't really appreciate salvation. The utter helplessness of man, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 6, you know what? I want you to open that. Time is fast, but we're going to be as fast as we can. In Romans chapter 5 verse 6, it says while we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the message of salvation. The utter helplessness of man, why we were without strength, there are some satanic phraseologies that have made their way into the church that are not true. Heaven helps those who help themselves. That's antichrist. The true message is this. We could not help ourselves. So heaven helped us. And how did that happen? God came in the flesh, died our death, That's how it happened. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he says. Poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? To recognize the insufficiency in yourself. He says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You must reckon that you cannot help yourself. If you think you can help yourself, that's pride. Heaven helps those who cannot help themselves. The other helplessness of men. The second thing is the sovereign intervention of God. That's the second thing in salvation. The sovereign intervention of God. Listen, you don't understand salvation until you realize that if God did not do what he did, you cannot beat him. You won't really appreciate it. You know what he he told Moses and what Paul quoted? He said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Compassion, on whom I will have compassion. Now you understand grace, when you reckon that this sovereign God, who could have had mercy on three people and still be just, chose to have mercy on all men. Now that's salvation. Hallelujah. If he chose that after the fall of man, that's okay. At, at least I gave you a chance, you know, that's okay. You know, there's, there's nothing you can do. It is not of he that wills, nor of he that runs, but of God who shows mercy. That's salvation. And the good news is this. He has shown mercy on all mankind. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. No wonder Paul said in gratitude, in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7, it says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Christ. You know that, what that means? None of us is going to go to heaven and beat our chest and say we tried. He says in the ages to come, He will show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness. You see, that's the kindness of God. Because even in a thousand lifetimes, you will not deserve it. What He so lavishly and generously gave to you, you will never deserve it. Now, this is the message to preach. This is actually how to get people saved. Explain this to them. Number one, the utter helplessness of man. Number two, the sovereign intervention of God. And number three, the obvious consecration of the man in Christ. Let me tell you something. If you stop the preaching of the gospel at the sovereign intervention of God, you're going to have half big Christians. They'll be Christians, but they'll be half-baked. There is an obvious consecration. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Let me tell you, some things must change about your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? When it comes to manifesting the fruits, it might be a gradual process, but it must be process. The process must be evident. There must be an obvious consecration You know what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 15? It says, And that he died for all, that those who live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. So you don't just stop at John 3, 16. He died for me. Thank you for dying for me. I cannot say why you love me. Eh, eh. I have nothing to give you. You're lying. You're lying. There's a lot you can give. Give him your lifetime. It says, the life I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. That's how to live. You give him your lifetime. Put all your energy. Let there be an investment of your life in the message of the gospel. Telling the untold and reaching the unreached. Shouting from the mountaintops. tops. So when that Samaritan woman heard that that was the Messiah she was talking to, she ran unsolicited and began to cry to the city, come and see this man. Is this not the Christ? Hallelujah. That's the message. So as we recharge our commitment to preaching this message, we must remind ourselves what the message is. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Let us understand it. Let us preach it right. So, when you see a woman who has been married five times, before you start marriage seminar, preach the gospel. Hallelujah. Or are you a better evangelist than Jesus? Do you realize Jesus? Just stood with the message, the most important thing, the message. Who is the Messiah? Where and how will men be saved? That was his priority. The goodness of God will lead people to repentance. I'm telling you that. Help them understand the message first. The message is more important. Before you bother about the type of their lipstick, help them understand the message. Before you bother about the length of their trouser, help them understand the message. That's the most important thing because they can change their life and still be unsaved. That if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, Paul said, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 809 Nine nine six seven thousand blessings.